The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's reading is Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Francis, for reading that passage for us this morning. I love that. I'm going to open us with a prayer. I came across this prayer this week that is uh, the prayer John Stott used to use, uh, the old Anglican uh, minister in London who used to use this. This is a prayer that he used to use whenever he would begin a sermon, when he would begin to preach, and uh, I love it. So I'm going to open this sermon with the prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Amen, all right. I love this psalm. James Boyce uh, described this psalm, he was a pastor in uh, Philadelphia, he described this psalm as profound. Uh, He noticed that in most commentaries on the book of Psalms, that the entries for the later psalms, there's 150 psalms, that the entries for the later psalms would just get shorter and shorter in most commentaries. Now, some of that may be because of just fatigue on the writer's part. A lot of it probably is because a lot of what there is to say, they probably have already said uh, in the earlier things. And then you get to Psalm 119, which is the largest uh, chapter in the entire Bible. And by the time you get past that, there's, there's maybe perhaps some repetition, except when they get to this psalm. And when they get to this psalm, Psalm 130, the exposition gets very lengthy. Uh, this sermon is not going to be very lengthy, but the exposition gets very lengthy. And the reason is because this psalm is, is doing something that is very unique in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 130 is one of the chief texts that brought John Wesley to faith. Martin Luther, this was his favorite psalm in the entire book of Psalms, and he wrote about it extensively, and he called this psalm Pauline. What that means is it sounded like the writings of the Apostle Paul. When Martin Luther would read this, he's like, it's like you're reading something that the Apostle Paul Wrote. What were all these people seeing in this? James Boyce, John Wesley, Martin Luther, so many others. What were they seeing in this psalm? What they're seeing in a word is they're seeing the gospel. They're seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this psalm. This psalm walks through something and it, and it foreshadows something that in the Old Testament system was, was, would have been unique to, to people. Uh, And that was this. This psalm speaks about unmerited pardon. 
pardon from God that is undeserved. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this psalm as it goes, and, and it's kind of three basic headings. We're going we're to address first the problem of guilt. So I warned you earlier in the service that we were going to talk about guilt. Could there possibly be anything good about feeling guilt? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Very qualified yes. We're going to walk through the problem of guilt, the solution of unmerited pardon, and then the sure hope of redemption. So if you're into three-point sermons, I don't give you those very often, here you go. The problem of guilt, the solution of unmerited pardon, and the sure hope of redemption. So let's start with the problem of guilt. This is verses one through three. If you have your Bible open or your phone open or your whatever you use to read scripture these days, this psalm begins with a powerful image. And the image is, out of the depths I cry out, to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Be attentive to my prayer. What's that, what's that image? The psalm is, he's starting in the lowest point, right? He's in the low point. The depths refer to uh, waters that you can't come back from on your own, that you're helpless unless someone intervenes on your behalf. A number of years ago, our family was on vacation. We go to Hilton Head Island. My parents live there. Uh, they moved there after we all graduated and left. I grew up in Indiana, and then they moved Oceanside after we were all out of the house, which actually has turned out great, because now I get to go there as an adult and bring the kids, and they play on the beach. Anyway, if you've ever been swimming in the ocean, you know that the, trick, the currents can be tricky, right? And you can get yourself in a situation that can be hard to get out of without even realizing, especially if there's a good surf and one day, one of my daughters was playing in, in the ocean, swimming in the ocean, and got kind of stuck in a, in a current that was taking her a little bit further out and a little bit further out to where she couldn't really touch bottom anymore. And it, if you've ever been in that situation, it happens slowly, right? And you don't, it, you don't realize that you're in trouble until you're really in trouble. Um, and I could see a look on her face, and my, my son, Chris, just, he was you know, probably a foot and a half taller than her at the time. He just walks out there into the water, picks her up and brings her ashore. But that's the image, right? Out of the depths, I cry to you. I'm helpless unless you intervene. What kind of depths are we talking about in this psalm? This is important for us to see because this psalm is about more than just general suffering in the world in its context, the previous psalm we talked about was an imprecatory psalm, right? That's a, I'm giving you a lot of big words this morning, but imprecatory psalm is a war psalm, right? The imprecatory psalm is, Lord, break the teeth of my enemy, right? That's, that's what an imprecatory psalm is. And we, we read one of those last week, Psalm 129. And we talked about how what that is, is that's a psalm in which the psalmist is asking the Lord, bring a reckoning Bring a reckoning to the evil that I see in the world, that I see outside of me, but also a reckoning to the evil that I see within me. What this psalm is doing is it is building, and it's building on that previous psalm by narrowing the focus on the psalmist's own guilt and shame. That's what he's focusing on. When he's in the depths, he's talking about guilt. He's talking about shame. It's not a generic trouble. 
The psalmist's depths are of his own making, by his own sin. That's what you see in a cry for mercy, isn't it? He's not saying, all these things are coming in around me from the outside and I need rescue help. He's saying, have mercy on me. That's an acknowledgement of of sin. And and in fact, that's what he's saying. He's saying in this passage, Lord, if you kept a record of sin, who could stand? So he's talking about himself. He's talking about his own sin. He's talking about his need for the mercy of God to deliver him from his own self-destructive tendencies. And we live in a time, we live in a culture that misses this, that dismisses the premise, right? This culture says, tell me if you've ever heard this or seen this, maybe you've even said it, uh, but I see it a lot, especially on social media, is, is that if you're troubled, what you need to do is you just need to cut all the toxic people out of your life. You ever seen that? Can we just stop for a minute and acknowledge the self-righteousness of that statement? That if I'm troubled, what I need to do is just jettison all the toxic people in my life. Look, there are toxic people. There are abusive people. There are people in your world that you should have very measured and sometimes no relationship with at all. I'm acknowledging that. However, I'm also saying, is everybody that gives you problems toxic and needs to be cut out? Could it be that if you find that time and time and time again you're having to cut yourself loose from a friend group and start over in this, at what point do you acknowledge and recognize you're the common denominator in the breakdown of of the toxicity, right? At what point do we do that? The problem, it can be very self-righteous to say this, to assume that Toxicity comes at you from external sources and is not in you. But why do we do that? We do that to dodge guilt, right? We do that to dodge guilt. If I can lay responsibility for the bad in my life at the feet of others, then I don't need to accept guilt. I can say I just need to live my life in a very judicious way where I only bring into my life people who make me happy, things that make me happy, and then I'm going to be okay. Have you ever found anybody who succeeded at that? What does scripture tell us to do? Lay down your life, die to yourself, give yourself away for the sake of your neighbor. Instead, what we try to do is we try to help ourselves and we try to solve our problems through self-help. But what if the problem runs deeper than what self-help can give you? There's a Hebrew scholar named Derek Kidner who's talking about this particular psalm. And uh, he says what's clear in this psalm is, quote, I love this quote. He says what's clear clear in the psalm is, quote, that self-help is no answer to the depth of distress, however useful it may be in the shallows of self-pity. Self-help is no use here in the depths of distress, no matter how helpful self-help may be in the shallows of self-pity. Because self-help can't take away guilt. You can't help yourself out of guilt. You need to be pardoned. You need to be forgiven. 
One of the great values of a psalm like this in our day is that we live in a time where we're determined to reject the notion of sin as anything more than discord between people or the violation of social contracts. But if this is all we're talking about, then why, I ask, are you and I so crippled by shame? Why are we so crippled by shame? Because we are. Why do we carry the burden of guilt? Why do we fear being known? It's because we know that there are things in us that are brokenness, that are broken. We know that there are things that are in us that if people saw them, they would not want to have anything to do with us, right? If there was a transcribed, a transcript of all of your thoughts from the last 48 hours, and they could go up on, this would be an empty room quick, right? We'd be like, I don't, I don't want to be in the room for when that happens, right? But it's true. It's true. We need to recover a sense of guilt. You're not going to understand the finished work of Christ without a sense of guilt. Not a guilt that brings you condemnation, but without understanding that there is something fundamentally broken in me that is not just, you know, like I don't work right, but it's that there's there's a sin nature that's at work inside of me. And we need to recover this. Why? So, so that we can let it drag us down into the depths again? No. No, here's the thing. We need to recover a sense of guilt so that when our sin drags us down into the depths, and it does, we'll know what it is and we'll learn to face it with hope, with real hope. Which brings us to the solution. That's the problem of guilt. The solution of unmerited pardon This is verses four through six. I love a passage of scripture that cooperates with my sermon outline. The solution of an unmerited pardon. This is where the psalm sounds like Paul. The psalmist says, Lord, with you there is forgiveness. The follow-up question that you have to ask is, okay, forgiveness based on what? What is that forgiveness based on? And the answer is it's based on grace. It's based on God's grace. As Paul wrote in Romans 4, 6, it's based on the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. It's a righteousness apart from works. I want to look briefly at why God forgives and then I want to look at this pas- what this passage says about how God forgives. Why is there forgiveness? Why? Does God owe us that? The psalmist tells us, he tells us in verse four, with you there is forgiveness so that, right? So that we can with reverence serve you. Now, what what do we make of that? How do we make sense of what he's saying here? Is what he's saying, is it it an angry look? Look, I'm gonna pardon you because I need you in my fields, I need you working for me. I pardon you so that you can get back to work. No. This is about a restored relationship. With you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. We were made for that. Forgiveness is not so that we can become indentured servants. It's restorative. It's a hope-filled return to what we were made for. And that's the goal of this psalm. 
this is Derek Kidner again, he says this, it is the Lord himself, not simply escape from punishment that the writer longs for. The Lord's call in the lives of his people is to himself, right? And we see this hope, we see it in verses five and six. Have you ever been in a season that's just so dark? Maybe you're in one right now, a season that's just so dark that you wonder, is this ever gonna pass? I know, listen, we've been a congregation long enough that I've walked with many of you through very dark seasons. We, we, we're in them, and, and, and you're going to have more, right? It's just part of living in a broken world as we, as we experience brokenness. Have you ever been in a season where it was so dark that you wonder if it, if it would ever pass, so low that the thought of laughing again just seemed too extravagant a thought? Like just... It's too much of a risk to the heart to even entertain the possibility of being happy like you were before this thing happened. What's the psalmist say? He says, I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And I put my hope in what? In his word. I put my hope in his word. Okay, this is not in my notes, this is a freebie, but this is one of the beauties of the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms is the prayer book of the Old Testament, it's the prayer book of the people of God and one of the things that the book of Psalms does for us is it models for us how to pray and in that it models for us how to feel and how to express what it is that we feel. And there are a number of Psalms where the psalmist says, like Psalm 77, I think it is. You can check my work on that. But it's, I stretch out untiring hands to you in the night and my soul refuses to be comforted. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers? Have you ever been in a time in your life where you're like, Lord, I am just, I, I, there's, no, there's nothing lifting my spirits right now and I'm crying out to you. And the psalmist says, it feels like you're, you're silent right now. You're not answering me. And so what does the psalmist do? He says this, and this is wisdom, friends. This is wisdom. The psalmist says, I will remember your works of old. In other words, what he's saying is, in this place right now where I can't see hope, I can't feel joy, I can't see escape or deliverance from this thing that I'm in, what I'm going to do is I'm going to remember ways that you were faithful to people who came before me in this mess that I'm in. Why? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That I am going to remember your faithfulness to generations past and not be so arrogant as to think that you will stop doing that for me, what you have done for the generations before. I love that the psalm calls us into that. To say, Lord, I'm struggling now, but I will remember your faithfulness. And that's what he says here, right? He says, wait, I lost my place in the notes. I'll find it again. Don't worry. Uh, see, that's what happens when you go on a tangent. Oh, yeah, there it is. I found it. I'm back. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, when you're in that season, I will wait for the Lord and my whole being waits. I put my hope in his word. And then he says this, more than watchmen wait for morning. More than watchmen wait for morning. He says it twice. 
which is in the Hebrew text was, was always intended to be emphasis. If you see things, here's a good way to think about it. If you read anything in the Old Testament that is repeated, think of that second one as just an exclamation point after the first one. That's what it's intended to do, is to be emphasis. This is more than watchmen wait for morning, more than watch for, watchmen wait for morning. Now, what he's done is he's taken us into the realm of doctrine, our old friend, doctrine. Right, because what is he saying? He's saying, I'm not just leaning on the hope of forgiveness. I'm leaning on the fact of forgiveness. I know you, God, to be a God of mercy and to be a God of grace. And as sure as the sun will rise in the morning, forgiveness will come. As sure as the sun will rise, forgiveness will come. Redemption will come. Restoration will come. How? Through the unmerited pardon of God himself. That's what's fascinating here is the psalmist is counting on God's unmerited pardon. He's, his, he bases the forgiveness of God in the mercy of God alone. He's not basing the forgiveness of God in his penance. He's not mentioning penance. He doesn't mention a plan to repair what he's broken. There are no if-then scenarios here. Nothing is contingent. He's not trusting in his own ability to earn God's pardon. He's just trusting in God to give it. And he's trusting God to give it completely, and he's trusting God to give it freely. Which leads us into verses seven and eight. The sure hope of redemption. This psalm started with a cry, right? I cry to you, Lord, from the depth. I'm going down. Deliver me. Help me. What's it end with? It ends with a command and a promise to the people who are listening. I mean, what a trajectory this psalm has taken us on, right? He starts in the depth. And he ends with a command and a promise. The command is put your hope in the Lord. The promise is for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sin. What's going on here? How can we move from being in the depth to now calling others to hope, commanding them to hope? James Boyce, again, I'll read this quote from him. He says, what the psalmist found when he confessed and sought forgiveness from God was not a once in a blue moon experience. It was something anyone can discover for it is based on God's nature which does not change. God is as forgiving now as he has ever been and he will always be the same forgiving God. It's fascinating, and this is why the commentators go long on this psalm. What's fascinating is this psalm was written before Christ. Even then, in the Old Testament, God's people hoped in the Lord's mercy and in his grace. Scripture writers were sure. They were sure that atonement would happen, even though they were unclear on how God would do it. But the psalmist says it right here. He himself will redeem Israel. We, however, occupy another time in history, don't we? Because we're on this side of the cross. We live after the cross. We live after the resurrection of Jesus. And the psalmist is, is, is low and he's going under and he cries out to the Lord for mercy and he emerges confident that the Lord will forgive, that he will restore. And we say, what eyes of faith to look forward and believe, but we, what do we do? We look back. We have even more reason to hope in a manner of speaking because we look back on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The redemption that the psalmist hoped for 
is a redemption that we hope in. It's the finished work of Christ. He's the basis for knowing as a watchman knows that the sun will rise, that God has given unmerited pardon in the sacrifice of Jesus. How do we know Christ will rescue us from the depth of our sin? We know it because he went into the depths too. He went into the depths for us, lower than any of us could ever go with the weight of the world, the sin of the world. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a work of God, which means there is nothing tentative about our standing with God in Christ. It's as sure as the sun will rise. And so I ask you, are you in the depth? There is hope if you are. Are you too ashamed to cry out for help? You don't need to be. You don't need to be because the rescue has actually already happened. And it has rescued many far worse off than you. Are you too proud to turn to God for mercy? That's a gospel issue. Because that's another way of saying that you're too proud to receive the finished work of Christ as though something more should be added. If so, you're resisting what you were made for. And what you were made for was peace with your maker the only way it could be accomplished. And that is a perfect record of righteousness being given to you. And that's what Christ has done. It's what Christ has done. So hope in him. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this psalm that proclaims the gospel, that addresses the problem of guilt, our need for redemption, that, that speaks to the solution of unmerited pardon and the sure hope of redemption as sure as the sun will rise. Father, I pray that we would be people who would take passages of Scripture, learn from passages of Scripture, that it would be more than just um, something that would soothe our hearts, but it would be something that would spin us forward into the world uh, to love and to care, that model that the psalmist gives us where it starts very turned inward uh, as a cry to the Lord from the depth, but ends turned outward calling other people to believe and to rest in hope. Lord, may your word always do that in us. May it not just be something that we feed on in private, but may it be something that moves us forward into the world to be agents of redemption, confessors of the beauty of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for giving us the sacrifice of Christ who restores us to you. As sure as the sun will rise, you deliver us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.